Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. Whenever you are able, do good to people who need help. Good word. Good word right there. That is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack. I'm a mom of eight, five through adoption. One came through a kinship placement, and four are siblings adopted internationally. Two of our five are diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, while two other older kids maybe probably should have had a diagnosis of some type. They're definitely on the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder spectrum. And I share my family's adoption journey in my new book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It is available wherever you buy books. And if you order it from Amazon, After you read it, please, please go in and leave a review. I would greatly appreciate that. If you would like a signed copy, which includes a special gift bookmark that I put in between the pages and send off to you, you can order that from my website, sandraflack.com. On my website, you'll also be able to learn more about me, read my blog. I blog regularly to you, uh, my wonderful audience of foster and adoptive moms, fellow mamas out there. Uh, You can also contact me for speaking opportunities if you'd like me to come and share at your uh, mom's groups, event, uh, uh, any event that you're doing, uh, women's retreat, foster and adoption event, uh, whatever you might, whatever you're thinking. I'd love to be a guest on other podcasts, uh, really have a heart to share, to encourage, um, to encourage you all along on this journey. So reach out to me and let me know. Um, Now, here we are for another November National Adoption Month episode of this show. And I'm thrilled to bring you a fellow adoptive author mom, Marcy Bursack. Marcy and her husband, Nathan, are parents to two children adopted through foster care, and she's the author of The Forgotten Adoption Option, a self-reflection and how-to guide for pursuing foster care adoption. She also hosts The Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. So, hey, welcome to the show, Marcy. This is so exciting. We just got to record for my podcast recently, and, and now we get to like see each other while we're recording. I know your audience only gets to hear us, but I get to see your face, which is such a treat. Yeah, we've been having way too much fun. So as, as much fun as you can have doing something remotely, we're, we're enjoying it, right? Indeed. No complaints <laughs> for me. I can keep doing this. It's great. Yeah. So me too. Me too. I love it. And I love to hear adoption stories. So let's start at the beginning of yours. I know that you and your husband, Nathan, have adopted two children. What led you to consider adoption? Well, it's interesting because my motive was more, I had served in international opportunities with churches and orphanages and 
when I, my husband and I were dating, I mentioned, I do not want to conceive biological children. I don't know why. I just know I've been to these orphanages and I want to bring all these kids home. And he shared a story about his grandfather, Grandpa Sam, that grew up in St. Louis in the 1920s. And when Sam was about seven years old, his mother and father died of illness in a very close time to each other. Sam actually had an older brother and an older sister, Sandra, and they were both adopted by a family because they could help on the farm. (sighs) Sam was a bit defiant, a little rough on the edges, was not adopted at seven and was never adopted through adulthood. And so Really amazing God story there. The story, real quick, is that Sam had a very good relationship or a constant relationship with the police. And this officer one day had Sam in the back seat and said, listen, dude, like you're in my vehicle too much. So the plan is we're going to go to this church and I'm going to drop you off. And either A, you're going to go in and be a changed man or B, if you're in my, you know, behind in my car again, we're going to go behind bars. And the story is Sam walks in, a woman is teaching and he ends up marrying her. Now, probably not in the same like five minutes, (laughs) but Sam becomes a Christian. And my husband spent a ton of time with Grandpa Sam in his childhood. And so when it came time for adoption, my husband said, I'm 100% on board with adopting. But it is so important to me in honor of my grandfather that it's a domestic thing that we do. And that it's an older child because I want to be able to help a kid that gets the opportunity that my grandpa never got. Wow. So that's really the reason that you pursued adopting through foster care, is it? It is. Wow. I love that. I love that story. You know, that that, that backstory is incredible. And if only the police did that kind of thing today with the same results. That's <laughs> right. Right. A little bit of a different time. Yeah. And it's interesting, Sandra, because when my husband mentioned, okay, let's adopt older domestic children, I thought, okay, let's go. And it literally took the first five years of our marriage to figure out how on earth this even happens. Cause the, the materials are not easy to find the path. Like it's, it's kind of a mystery. Wow. Yeah. Unless you're already in the space, like we can now take it for granted, but when you're coming in and you don't know, like, how do we, how do we go about doing this? And I don't want to give it away, but we're going to talk about, you have a how-to book on how to do this, um, right. but you did, you, you and your husband adopted a son and a daughter, biological siblings, correct? True. Yeah. And they're Hispanic. So I know your listeners can't hear me. I'm very white Caucasian. And um, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about I'm I'm doing some work in in the pageant area and I've been getting spray tans for some of those opportunities. And it's been so beautiful because I'm like, I've never done spray tans in my life. But the times I've come home and my kids, they put their arms up to me and they're like, mom, we are the same color. And I'm like, (laughs) I am. I look more Hispanic like you do. It's a really fun adventure to be Uh... able to, to operate in that space. Oh, I love that. So they were three and four years old when they came to you, correct? They were. My daughter was actually a week from turning three. So we got to celebrate her first or her third birthday together, which involved going to build a bear where you get to, you know, like stuff that stuffed animal. But my children, they had lived in such a small rural community that we got to this mall. This is like pre-pandemic when you could go to a mall. And they were unfamiliar with escalators. So our, our birthday excitement quickly pivoted to helping them be confident and comfortable just using an escalator in a mall. Wow. Yeah. So many things that we don't think of that kids haven't been exposed to when they've come from those traumatic backgrounds. Um, but you, you, they came into your home. Tell us about how they were placed with you. Did you foster them first? What was that process like? Were they, you know, that led to them coming home? Okay. 
So this is a bit of a backwards story. In fact, our licensing worker, we were one of her first families to license. And when I remember she had our case, she thought, okay, this is going to be great. Marcy's really organized. She's giving all the paperwork. And then when our children entered our lives, her and her boss who've been doing this for a long time were like, this is not the way it works. So I, I caveat that as your listeners are like, wait, but is that how my story is going to go? My husband and I specifically got licensed to adopt through foster care. So we actually did not sign up to be foster parents. We signed up to adopt children who were waiting in foster care. And what ended up happening is we were pursuing actually a different sibling set. And we were one of two families, we went through the whole process. It's almost like you're at, at, at like the altar at the wedding, you're about to say yes, but the other family was selected. It was kind of an emotional ride that night. We felt let down, but at the same time, so excited because these kids that had been in and out of the system finally got permanency. However, that very night, after we were like swore off doing anything for a while, we're like, we're not going to do anything in this space for a bit because this emotionally was exhausting. We got an email about our kids. And there were no pictures. And my husband's at the grocery store picking up stressed food. So we got like a frozen pizza and got me a box <laughs> of Oreos. Because we're just, you know, it was a hard day. Yeah. And he got home and I, I, I was like, I need to talk to you about this. And he was like, we really need to sleep on this. Like we just went through a big day. And I was like, Nathan, ten, like tomorrow is the deadline. And our license doesn't even say we can have kids this time. I think our license at the time was ages five to 10. So he was agreeable. I sent it to our licensing worker who was able to work some magic to, you know, make sure our license resembled but the kind of profile they were looking for. And I kid you not, that was like a Friday, let's say, or early in the week, the very next week, Thursday, Thursday or Friday, I get a phone call and it's from the city. I looked it up in my state of Missouri and I thought, oh, there's two of them. Clearly it's going to be the one that's only two hours away. Right. I didn't know there's enough information. Well, I get a call from the social worker and they say, hey, we just reviewed applications. We got 10 of them. We've narrowed it down to you and your husband. You've been chosen. And I thought, this is not how this is supposed to work. Like, you didn't <laughs> interview us. I didn't ask you questions. But like, okay, let's roll with this. And all she said is, hey, um, do you all smoke? Because your, your son has some um, asthma, smoke-induced asthma. And we're like, no. And so she said, well, when can you meet them? And my husband's an educator. And so he can't talk during the workday, but I can. <laughs> and so I was like, tomorrow. So this is a Friday day call. We got on the road at like 4am on Saturday, drove five hours one way to meet our kids. They were in Northwest Missouri and near Iowa. And we had, we promised, we committed in the car that we were not going to make a decision in the moment. We knew the social workers would ask, but we wanted time to think. So we read through their like five inches, what felt like five inches of paper for their case file. We spent a couple hours eating pizza and playing at a park. And then we got in the car on the way home and it was interesting because my husband's like, what do you think? And I'm thinking, I didn't have like a spark. Like, how do you know you're supposed to do this, right? Like, mm. this is completely unfair. Like, I met these kids. I know how to care for them because I've nannied and I have nieces and nephews. And so I actually turned the question to him and said, well, can you tell me one reason why we shouldn't do this? And there was dead silence in the midst of a hailstorm on our five-hour drive home. And he was like, Marcy, I can't. And I'm like, I think we're just supposed to be willing. So our kids moved in a week later. Uh, it was supposed to take four wow. months is what we were told that the legal stuff would kind of iron out. They were considered what's called a legal risk, which meant it was looking like they were going to need an adoptive home. But on paper, it wasn't that way yet. It took way longer at nine months. I kind of was at a breaking point, which is kind of what spawned me into the, the advocacy work I'm doing right now for foster care adoption. So 18 months later, we went to court and finalized our adoption. So it was a bit of a longer story than we thought it was going to be, but God has used so much of that. And I feel like we were asked to be obedient, to, to go through that path. 
as a way to understand it and then to share that perspective for people, that awareness, to build the awareness. Yeah, it always seems like while there's some very similar, you know, things, parts of the story, there's always those things that are just completely different and unique to the story. Um, So what was the adjustment like once the kids actually came into your family? You know, our family, like my husband and I, I think there's adjustment there. And then there's like adjustment with like extended family and family and friends. But I would say the overall tone, because we had communicated to our friends and family well in advance, we kind of did like a, we're going to adopt letter. They all knew we made a social media announcement. We didn't know what we didn't know, but we sure we knew. Right. And so we were met with so much, what I would consider just the generosity, like God's heart. Right. We, we had immediate needs. Like we had a few days to prepare things in our home that we didn't even know we needed. And so through encouragement of friends, they said, make a list, Marcy, go post it. And I was like, oh, I'll do it on my own time. And they actually sat with me. They helped me write the list, posted it. Every single need within 48 hours was taken care of. We had done some respite, which is doing kind of a temporary care for kids who are in foster care is kind of relief for the foster parents. We've done some respite care. So we knew of this incredible Montessori preschool in town that would accept state payment. And so I called them up. They had openings for both of the kids, but I didn't know they needed school supplies. So I did the same approach. I posted on social media and it was just amazing, Sandra, to see how quickly I drove like 10 minutes to my office and everything was met. People just were so eager to help. Wow. We were met with a lot of wonderful support, but at the same time, I think what was new for us was the questioning, the curiosities of people. And sometimes it was well-intended and maybe a little harsh, but it was just people going, I don't know how to operate in this space, but I'm excited for you. I'm excited to meet your kids. And so it was, it was great in that case. Um, I can tell you, my dad took care of my kids for like a weekend. Months later, my husband and I went out of town for an anniversary. He got respite certified. And, and that was a different, I think, season and experience for him because he got to talk with my kids and he got to just hear them talk and they were processing, they were processing what they were going through. So that entailed like an hour on my anniversary trip where my dad's just like, I'm kind of freaking out. We're talking about jail. Can I get some coaching? It's just, <laughs> it's just what it is. Right. And we wanted to help our kids feel as normal as possible. And, and that nothing was inappropriate. If you it make sense, like we wanted them to know that they could talk about what they felt like they wanted to talk about in a way that was supportive. So it was an adventure for sure. Um, and we've been very lucky to have great mentors that I can different people that you know how this goes Sandra that are also in this space that have been parenting adoptive children longer than I have that I can message at any hour of the day with the most random thing that happened and they understand this dynamic and so they're able to give great counseling. Wow so were there what about when the kids came I, I love the fact that you had support with your community and with your family but then all of a sudden you have these two children in your home. Yeah they, zero to two right? Yeah. Like, no kids yeah. Two kids. And so what was that adjustment like just for the kids and for you and your husband? We, I would say overall, if my husband was here too, I think he'd be like, it was rather smooth. He's an educator. And so we very quickly leaned on how do we build a routine? How do we build some pattern and rhythm in this space? And so like we got them on a bedtime routine. We got them on a morning routine. We put on the fridge, like the sequence of the calendar. Cause my kids didn't quite understand that holidays and birthdays repeat themselves. And they just didn't know because they had moved to six other homes before ours. Mm. And so um, we did continue biological family visits for about another 12 months, 12 or 14 months. So that was a little bit different because then what we would see is for like, if this is a four months or four week cycle, we'd have 
a good week where the kids felt like, wow, they're like excelling and becoming themselves and they're blossoming. And then there'd be this bio family visit and they would regress and be a kid that was not who we were familiar with. And so we tried to love them through that. And then there'd be this like two weeks where it was almost like they were fighting with their, their thriving self and this, this other lifestyle. And they weren't sure who their identity was. And then we'd go back to that one week where it was wonderful. And then the whole cycle would repeat itself mm. all over again. So there were definitely times that I was on the floor in my bathroom, door closed, crying and not understanding like why my kids had to go through this because it was so hard to watch them go through this kind of rubber band of the system. Yeah, that is so hard. It's so hard on kids. Kids are resilient, but yet they go through way more than than I think sometimes what we adults are able to handle, you know, would we be able to do that if, if we were that kid, you know? Um, yeah. How old are your children now and how are they doing? How have they adjusted? Well, my daughter is 10. She's in the fifth grade and my son is almost 12. He's in the sixth grades. They're like stair-stepped grades. And they're in this really beautiful season where as a result of me writing kind of down the process of how to adopt through foster care, we've had a lot of conversations about how do you feel about everyone knowing you were adopted? How do you feel about and my son who has such a tender heart said, mom, do you think it's going to help a kid get adopted if my face is on things? And I was like, yeah, man, if you let our family photo go out there, like, I'm pretty sure people can see how like, oh, they can do it too. And he was like, well, then we absolutely have to do this. Mm -hmm. And so it's been beautiful to see how that's nurtured their gifts. My daughter just recently um, was chosen to be part of her school's broadcast team because she's been helping me behind the scenes with social posts and podcasts. And so she's like finding her voice and she's loving being able to be creative in that space. And my son is actually about to be serving. He was picked as the only kid in his entire grade that's helping with alcohol and drug abuse awareness week. And so he's really pivoting what he, as his kind of um, just little teaser on their backstory with their, their biological parents were using drugs and alcohol. And that's part of what led them into care. And so he's really taking his own personal story and turning that into helping others kind of stay off that path. Wow. Well, that actually segues perfectly into my next question. Um, and I know you and I had a great conversation about this last night when I was being interviewed by you for your show. <laughs> uh, but about 86% of kids in the child welfare system um, out of home placement have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. Most are either not diagnosed or they're misdiagnosed and have some kind of alphabet soup of different diagnoses, which really kind of come under the umbrella of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So I talk about this a lot on my show because as a as a parent, adoptive parent of children diagnosed and, and just knowing the challenges and knowing that so many don't know um, you know, it's so important for foster and adoptive parents to be not just trauma informed but FASD informed. So have you received, like when you took your classes to become a foster parent, uh, well, an adoptive parent, but you took those classes, um, did you get any training on FASD? And do you know if FASD impacts your family? I don't think Missouri offers that, at least at the time that we went through the training. I think a lot of what I have learned in this space is a result of friends who have kids that have been more severely impacted by this. I know that my children in utero were impacted by different exposures, how much and when, who, no, no one knows, no one knows on a documented level, but this certainly I think as a parent informs my empathy, it informs how I'm trying to understand things. And it's so hard. I know you and I were talking yesterday 
as well on the forgotten adoption option podcast about how sometimes it's hard to say, is it this thing or is it this thing? Like, is it because of trauma or is it because of alcohol use in the womb or is it because of puberty? Like there's so many factors and sometimes it's hard to delineate, oh, well, it's this one, right? It's this specific one, but I can certainly tell you knowing that that kind of accommodations and the ways to adapt parenting and and the way we love our kids as a result of what they might've been through certainly helps maybe a different kind of parent, right? Like, and I know you and I talked about just even some of like the need to have a little more time to process. And my son sometimes needs more time to process. And so there's just these different skills that sometimes are a little bit later to develop, or sometimes they're harder to develop. And so being able to understand that, hey, like this, I think the ultimate underlying thing here, Sandra, that I take away is that this isn't the child's fault. Right. Um, it shouldn't shouldn't be a scapegoat. Like it shouldn't be like, well, since this, let's you know just let everything go. No, but I think if we can understand that this child wasn't given this, like the, their their ability to grow was kind of impacted and stopped in certain ways. And so if we can remember that while we're trying to help them thrive, then we're able to parent in a way that's not blaming or shaming, but really helping to bring out the best in them in a way that makes sense to who they are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's such good advice. I love that. So I, I thank you for sharing that. And and I just always remind our listeners that we have a great list of FASD resources on our website at justicefororphansny.org. You can click on resources and scroll down. And I have a list of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, books that I've read, uh, and websites for training that I often refer back to. So um, very important that every foster and adoptive parent have that training, have, have that awareness of FASD. Um, so Agree. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your book because that's a that's a big part of your story as well. The Forgotten Adoption Option, a self-reflection and how-to guide for pursuing foster care adoption. Um, why did you write the book? <laughs> so what happened, Sandra, is it, when you when I went through my adoption process with my kids and we got stopped, like it wasn't four months, it was longer. I started blogging. Cause I just felt like that was the, like the right thing to do with what we knew what we were going through. And there was a huge readership and a lot of interest. And then as we finalized our adoption, all of a sudden friends and friends of friends would contact us. Hey, Marcy, we don't understand the process. Can we come meet with you? And so I'd host people in my home for an hour or two and I'd explain the whole process. And sometimes my husband would say, I think we totally overwhelmed them. And I'm like, okay, I talk fast and I get excited. And that was a lot of information. What was the problem? And he was like, I think both things just happened. <laughs> and for a while, I thought, well, it's such a negative, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a negative. It's just a reality that people know now that there's like 52 steps and it is just 52 steps. You can't like bake the turkey a little bit faster. Like you got to just walk, walk through the steps. And so what happened is during the pandemic, Sandra, I, I saw some different marketing pieces that I felt like, oh man, I wonder if they know they could do this instead, or I wonder if anyone's doing this. And so I wrote this whole list of like, someone should. <laughs> and then sort of like, it's a Matthew West song, right? Of like, do something where it was like, no, God, God created you. Like you right. need to go do something with that. And so through a lot of prayer and counsel, I thought, well, what if I package what I've already been sharing in a way that's scalable, not just to friends and family that can come over, which in the pandemic wasn't even possible anymore. And I, I did some Zoom calls as well, but what if I could scale this as a way to share the information more widely? So kind of spurred into a book. I wrote it last year in the month of August through a friend's dad, who is a Christian that has an audio engineering studio in his home. I was able to record the audiobook 
as well that actually came out before the printed book, which was kind of wild. But the intention was really how do, how do I help more people understand the need? There's 120,000 children in the United States that need an adoptive home. And many people don't know about them or even how to go adopt them. And so as much as I would love to say, I'm going to go take my two plus the 120,000, like it's just not feasible. But if I can teach other people how to help too, then we can really make an impact with these kiddos who would, just like Grandpa Sam, would really benefit from having a forever family. Yeah, the impact (laughs) multiplies. Yes. Yeah, the impact multiplies. And so you helped too, but then now that awareness that others are hearing your story and are inspired and want to learn more, they go out and do it and then their friends. So we definitely see that ripple effect uh, for sure. And I love your book because it is it is that how-to guide. And I wanted to look at that a little bit. There's a couple of things in your first chapter that I thought would be great points to just, to just break down for folks. Because I know one thing... Um, I hear a lot of times like people people will contact me or will comment on different blog posts or social media posts that I put out there. And, you know, they talk about, oh, um, it's such a shame that it's so expensive or more people would adopt. And I always point out, but you can adopt for virtually nothing through the foster care system like, you know. So people just don't realize that that's even an option. Maybe that's why your book is called The Forgotten Adoption Option. I almost (laughs) called the book, most people don't know this, I almost called it No Cost Adoption. But when I got some feedback on that, adoptive families said, Marcy, there is such an emotional cost to this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. So, but you're exactly right. It's zero to $2,500 to adopt through the foster care system. And typically the government reimburses if you pay the $2,500. So like you're really not... Having to do that, and something else people don't often know, Sandra, is that when you adopt the foster care system, children are covered through the age of 18 for their health insurance, and then for any sort of childcare, whether it's like a summer camp or an after-school activity through certain providers. And so there's really the expenses piece of it, a financial side of it, it really is minimal. Mm, yeah, and that's that's important to get out there for people to understand because I mean I don't I always tell people even folks that are considering international adoption, uh, which which is also complicated and can be long but very expensive. I always say you know don't don't let the cost hinder you because if God calls you to it, right. He will provide what you need to do it. Um, but here it's it's not even it's not even that right? It's, it's more of that emotional cost um, for sure. But let's talk about the first chapter of your book. Your book. You share four points that I'd like us to break down a little bit uh, when it comes uh, to a child coming into our family, uh, no matter how they came really actually, if, whether it was through foster care or adoption or kinship, international, domestic, however, um, the child may not know what stability feels like. So explain that. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah. And I think stability is kind of one of those things that I know I take for granted, right? Like the idea that I know my next meal is likely in my fridge or at the grocery store. And stability is when it's holiday season, even though there might be family drama, like I know who I'm going to see, right? And for kids that have gone through foster care many times and kids have been adopted, there's been abuse or neglect in their background. They might've moved around multiple times. And those multiple moves aren't just them moving. It's them meeting different people, those people interacting with them in different ways, And so knowing any sort of consistency about what does the schedule look like? What does my school life look like? What does it look like to feel what love is, is is kind of out of their definition of anything. Because they're like, well, I've seen it this way and I've seen it in that flavor too. And so just understanding that when we adopt children, they really come to us with some history 
where they're going to learn a new normal. And sometimes that new normal, they're going to bring in the old, what kind of felt normal, that instability that felt normal. Yeah, instability for them, for sure. And it may be hard for parents to understand instability. I know, I know for myself, I've lived in the same community my entire life. You know, and like my my some of my kids who went to school went to the school I graduated from. So it's like, you know, for me, everything has been very stable and secure. But Mm -hmm. understanding like it's not like that for everybody, especially children who've come out of trauma backgrounds, out of the welfare system, the child welfare system. So it's so important for parents to to come to an understanding of that. Another point, your second point is that the child's norms might not be your norms. So what, what, you know, not everybody does things the same way at every house, right? Tell us about that. Exactly. Well, and my favorite story on this, which I include in the book is about, it was actually told us during our our foster care licensing process about this little girl that went to a friend's family gathering for a birthday and it was time to sing happy birthday. And this little girl, it's her friend they're singing to, she stands up on a chair and she belts out happy birthday with the rest of the family and it's all done and they've sung the song and everyone's kind of staring at her and she's noticing she's the only person on a chair and she was the loudest person that sang the song. And for her, that's how her family celebrated birthdays. And so for her, that was so normal, but now in this new environment, she kind of stuck out. And so it's the same thing, uh, whether it's the foods that are eaten or where they're eaten. And, and some of these are similar. If I'm thinking recently, you know, you and I have new pets in our life. There's just some new behaviors that come out because of things that this creature has or has not been exposed to. And so in the same way, when a child maybe gets dressed a certain way or does things in a certain sequence or says words a certain way, it's usually because their prior life or their prior environment, those things were very typical. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think mealtime is a big one. If you're used to sitting down at a meal together as a family, but yet you have children who come from hard places into your family, they may have never sat down at a table and had a meal with their family. That could be a very foreign concept to So even to have that expectation to think, okay, well, you have to sit here with us the whole time and eat your food, you know, very, 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 very different. So keeping in mind, um, just our kids have a history and it didn't look the same for them as as it does. We have to adjust our expectations really, um, you know, and, and see things through through their lens. Um, another thing, uh, your a third point is children bringing, I love this term, invisible suitcases uh, with them. Uh, that's such a spot on image. Explain for our listeners what an invisible suitcase might be. Yeah, I, I love that that sticks out to you because I know, and it was not ill-intended. I remember when we first had our kids, I, a girlfriend that I had known since middle school called up one day and said, Marcy, my husband and I, we just wanted to tell you, we're just so inspired by what you're doing. And I was like, why? What, what, what's, what's going on? And she said, well, you're helping damaged kids. Hmm. And I didn't know how to respond in that moment. But since then, you know, learning language, learning language that's sensitive. To who are we talking about? Right. Like when I talk to my 10 year old daughter about this and say, hey, how does it feel to know you have an invisible suitcase? What does that look like? And she's like, well, it's, it's me having this thing and carrying around with things inside that you can't see. Well, how does it feel to be called damaged? Ooh, that feels like I'm a piece of fruit and I've got bruises and I probably am not going to get eaten or picked because I'm, I'm damaged. Right. And so there's just a whole different vibe of opportunity. Invisible suitcase is really about, you know, kids that 
are not, I mean, they have a history before you. They're going to have stories before you. And some of those are things that are easy to see. Some are not. I know I've heard a story about a little boy who was left alone. He was very little and he was left alone while bio mom went to work and she would leave him with a box of lucky charms while she was gone for her work day. And so when he was in, in foster care and then in a foster home and they served lucky charms, this little guy had some triggers and some issues and they couldn't figure it out. But he just had this invisible suitcase, right? The lucky charms were in it or an empty bag of it where he was like, I don't ever want to see those again. I have such negative memories around that. And so it triggered in him behaviors that were there as a result of just simply an earlier experience. Mm. Yeah, definitely. We need to be sensitive to those invisible suitcases because every kid comes in with them for sure. For sure. So, okay, so our last, your last point in that section is about memories. Our kids come again with a history that was before us. They have memories of a life before they came to live with us. So tell us about that. Yeah, and I think some of this is just, it's twofold, right? Sometimes we want to be our kids' own memory, like their only memory that we don't want to hear them talk about that old life. But if we can equip them with language and allow it and encourage it, there's some beautiful things that come out. Like in my family, we talk about bio family or first family, and we welcome those conversations. And we've also been encouraged with our play therapist that she says, don't put memories where memories don't exist. So if all of a sudden the name and a story, my kids can't remember, we don't put it there. And I've been very transparent as my kids have aged that like, Hey, I know that detail, but because of the coaching we've been given, we're choosing to not put that back in your head you can disagree with us. You can tell us otherwise. And, and it's been so sweet to hear them say, well, mom, no, we, we totally understand that. Like, I think that's really wise. I don't know what this memory is, but being able to have open dialogue, I think is what the important takeaway mm. is here that there are going to be stories and some, my, my daughter was not very verbal when we met. So she couldn't talk a lot, a lot about her history, but as time has gone on different things, you know, different smells, different toys, different experiences, bring back some sort of flashback of something positive or negative. And so then she tells stories. And so just recognizing that those stories are to help your child heal. They're, they're not necessarily to silence them or to feel like you're inadequate. I know it can be hard to realize there's another family that they love and they loved them back, whatever that meant for them before you, but there can be some beauty and embracing that that was the season. And this is part of our kids journey. Mm, love, I love that. Such wonderful advice there. So your book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, is really a how-to book on adopting from foster care. And I, you adopted from foster care. So you wrote down that experience. And, and there's some similarities that, you know, like every, everyone, every adoption has to have a home study, right? There's like certain right. key pieces. And then there's, you know, but not everybody's experience is identical. And I know we would have to probably record another whole episode to go over the whole entire process, but just kind of break down the steps super simply on if if somebody's considering adoption, who's listening, and they're not sure what the steps would be to adopt through foster care, kind of hit, hit the high points for us so that they can kind of have some direction. Yeah, well, the three main high points, the three main steps are once you've gotten on the same page, there's significant other because that's like a a pre-step, then you should go find an agency to license you. And sometimes this is easy to find on a website, say adoptuskids.org can get you pointed locally. If you're wanting something different or a specific ask a friend for recommendation, um, that really helps. I know 
as, as a Christian, I really wanted to go through a Christian agency. So number one, you want to pick the agency. Number two, you want to get licensed in this. And the pandemic is a little bit bumpy because sometimes things are getting rescheduled. So just bring a beautiful essence of flexibility to this. And then after you're licensed, you can actually start viewing profiles of children who are available for adoption. And after that, you kind of work through a whole system of timing and moving in and, and finalizing it. But it's really about picking the agency and getting the training and then being able to go through kind of the vetting process of pursuing different profiles. And they could also begin with your book, right? Because you really Absolutely. go through it with a fine tooth comb. So where can our listeners find your book? Yeah, and my book is really meant to kind of hold your hand and be there alongside you. I just had a local family, local to me family, that they're finishing the licensing process. And they said, Marcy, you probably don't know, but we've been having dinner with you for several <laughs> weeks. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, as you've been licensed, your book has been on the table. And so we'd hear something for, like, verbally from someone and we'd be like, hold on, what does Marcy say? And so I'm really your companion to help you on that journey. And so you can find my book on Amazon and at Target, Barnes and Noble. I do have an Audible version. So I'm on Audible. I'm on um, Amazon that way as well. And all the different links are on my website at forgottenadoptionoption.com. And we'll, re- we'll include a link to your book in our show notes for this episode as well. But in addition to the book, you also host the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. You really got through that tongue twister. I really Thank <laughs> you. I'm getting good <laughs> at it. The alliteration of that. So the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast was just a heartfelt, what, what after the book, right? Like, what do we do to help create more awareness? And so I interview adoptive parents. I interview adopted children. Some of them were never adopted, but twice a month, I welcome people to share their stories. Cause I think the more we can recognize how prevalent these stories are with our neighbors, with our school relationships, our church relationships, all throughout our community. And we're like, Oh, these people are all around me. And then it's just a great opportunity to realize how we need more families and we need more people, whether you're helping to support a friend go through the adoption process or you yourself are going, all right, I'm going to lend a hand. I'm going to do respite and help a few days a year. I'm going to go sign up and get licensed to adopt and make a lifetime commitment. And so the podcast's intention is really to just help people hear the stories so they can be informed. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I know a lot of that's kind of how we started out was just bringing awareness. Uh, and and it's, it's grown over time to where we, you know, we kind of know our listener base and it's, it's people who are already in, in this space, you know, and need that encouragement for the journey. Um, right. But it's so important that you're also getting that support and that encouragement as you enter the journey, um, because it's it's quite the process. And I wish I had a podcast and a book like yours, um, or a show like you know both of our our epi- our, our podcasts uh, in that day when we were just beginning to to walk through the process of adopting internationally, because it's different for everybody, but there's a lot of commonalities. And uh, back in the olden days when we first were in the process of adopting internationally, they had these things called chat rooms. Do you remember those? I do remember chat rooms, yeah. (laughs) So there was a chat room where I would go and like live in throughout the day and it was for families who were adopting from Russia or Ukraine. And I wouldn't 
wouldn't chat really, but I would read what everybody else was posting because I wanted to know. And it was cool things like what are the best restaurants in Kiev to eat in or what, where, you know, what to pack uh, in your suitcase and just all these different tips and pointers. And, and it, it was really like a community out there. And I just wanted to glean from their experience. And I think, you know, I think podcasts are the modern day chat room, right? We can listen oh, yeah. in and hear it and experience it and learn from others who are on the same journey. So it's so, so important. So of course, we'll, we'll include links also to your podcast, the book in the podcast and our show notes. But I have to ask you this question. You were recently named United States of America's Mrs. Ohio. Tell us about that. Isn't that fun? Yeah. So, Kendra, I honestly never, it never crossed my mind on my bucket list to say, I want to do a pageant, right? But this summer, I felt called. I just felt called to go put my name and enter. And my husband was so supportive, even though it was completely out of the box. And as a foster care adoption advocate, I'm so honored to represent my partner, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, which is located in Ohio. And they work in every state in eight provinces in Canada to find loving permanent homes for youth who are waiting to be adopted from foster care. Now, the foundation and I have a great relationship. We walked together during the beginning of my family's adoption process. They provided templates for me to use to actually get adoption benefits for my then employer. And we also partner on podcasts. So you can actually find a link to the Dave Thomas Foundation's step-by-step guide to adoption on my website under the tab begin. Really, my hope is that people will increase their awareness of foster care adoption and that I can find more adoptive families across the country by serving in this this platform that's completely outside my comfort zone. Like I'm just learning a new skill set, but I'm like, okay, God, if you want to send me there, I'm happy to go tell your message. Yeah, what a great, great opportunity and platform to be able to do that. And the Dave Thomas Foundation, wonderful foundation advocating for children in the foster care system. So that is so exciting. And how you're just saying yes to God, stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, and, and that's what we have to do is step, step through that door he opens and say yes and trust him for what's on the other side. So some of those yeses are easy, right? And yeah. some of them it's like, God, do you know what you're doing? I like, know. Do, do you, are you sure? And he's like, did I send everyone in the Bible to do the things I told yeah. them to do? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, just trust, just hold on and don't worry about looking around. Just let me pull your arm and, and I'll be there along the journey. Absolutely. I love that. So Marcy, I'm just so thrilled that you're, you've been on the show with us. But before you go, I would just really want to hear, is there anything else on your heart that you really want our listeners to hear? What What do you want their takeaway to be from our conversation? Oh, that's a good, good question. I think if I could encourage the listeners in any manner, it's you know, if this, if adoption's on your heart and you're like, well, I don't know, there's so many choices or I don't know when or not right now. And and you can think through all these things about why not. I would just really encourage you to kind of put a time box around like the next month, I'm going to just go research or I'm just going to learn more because what's, what's for sure, Sandra, and you and I can both attest to this is that the need for adoptive families is always there. And we need more people who are willing to say, I don't know what I'm doing. It's outside my comfort zone. And this sounds kind of messy and complicated, but I'm willing to help a child or children to have a family. And Mm so I would encourage them just to learn what their choices are and just to 
go after what God's calling them to. It might feel uncomfortable, but it is okay. Like we grow when we're uncomfortable. Yeah. And that that's just it. You know, we, we kind of get stagnant if we're not stepping out there and being challenged. And, and God calls us to do the things that we can't do anyway on our own. He calls us to do those things that we need him to help us to do. Uh, and I can attest to adoption, foster care, caring for children from hard places is definitely something that we need him to help us navigate the journey. Um, but it's, it's, it's the greatest, the greatest reward, the greatest thing to do. Yes, it gives us definitely a different perspective of his heart. I feel like even as a parent, right, we learn things that we're like, oh, we call God our father. This is what he meant, you know, but the Bible tells us that true religion is to care for the orphans. And so mm-hmm. what, what is that, right? Well, if you want to know, come join us and yes. come, come participate in this ministry because there's, there's so much to give and so much that God teaches you along the journey. Yeah, it's an opportunity to be the church, right? To, yes. to be the church. So Marcy, thank you so much for all that you're doing, for sharing your story and for all that you're doing, advocating for children in foster care. They truly need a voice. Families need guidance along the way. You're doing that. So thank you so much for writing your book, doing your podcast, and thanks for being with us today. Well, it is an honor. I, I just feel like I'm Moses. I'm just like, okay, God, just wherever you want to take me. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll go. So I appreciate that you've been so supportive and that we can partner in the same space that our heart is called. Absolutely. It's grateful to have you along for the journey as well. Thanks so much. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Marcy. Um, just We just were chatting after um, she left the show. Uh, just to have that time to connect with somebody else in your tribe is life-giving, and I love that. So I hope you were encouraged and inspired along the way. I thank you for listening. Uh, Marcy's story is amazing. Um, you can find links to her book and her podcast in the show notes for this episode. Uh, And remember, November is National Adoption Month. All of our November episodes are going to be adoption focused. Uh, And this month also, Justice for Orphans is celebrating our 10th anniversary of our ministry, which started uh, way back with our first Orphan Sunday observation, uh, which is my episode with uh, the International Director of Orphan Sunday, Jody Jackson Tucker. So make sure you tune into that episode. And it's also the 300th episode of this podcast, which started out as a radio show uh, and then sort of morphed into this podcast. Uh, And we are celebrating with a very special guest who will be on the show with me for the 300th episode. You're listening right now to episode 298. So in two episodes, two weeks, you'll be able to catch our 300th episode. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a great time. I'm so grateful for you. all that you do to listen and and be in this space. And if you're fostering or adopting or a kinship caregiver, whatever you're doing, maybe you just tune in because you like the stories of inspiration and it encourages you. I'm grateful that you're listening. Uh, Be sure to check out our website. Uh, You can learn more about this ministry, Justice for Orphans. Uh, This podcast is an extension of Justice for Orphans. And um, also, we offer on the website an entire resource page dedicated to fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So if you're an adoptive parent or a foster parent or even a kinship caregiver, there are vital resources right there to help you become FASD-informed and 
trauma-informed, you're going to want to check those out. Uh, Speaking of resources, head on over to my personal website, sandraflack.com. Follow my blog. I write regular blog posts that are really dedicated to foster and adoptive moms, parents. Um, So you want to check those out as well. And find me on social media. I am on Facebook at Sandra Flack. I also have a Sandra Flack author page. I'm on Instagram as Sandra Flack underscore JFO. And of course, our ministry Justice for Orphans has both a Facebook and an Instagram page we would love for you to follow. Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful you spent your valuable time with me. Thanks again for joining me for this episode. I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justiceforphansny.org.